Good morning. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Psalm, chapter 30. Psalm 30. It is the first Sunday of the month, and the plan, Lord willing, is to always be in Psalms or Proverbs um, on the first Sunday of the month, so we find ourselves in Psalm 30. Now listen now to the reading of God's word. I will, let's begin at the beginning. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night. But joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. One of the most highly uh, consequential moments in the history of redemption, as the bush was burning and Moses received his call to go and deliver the people of Israel from Egypt, God revealed to him his name. But not just his name, the context within which God revealed his name is of immense importance. After Moses asked for God's name so that he could tell the people of Israel who had sent him, here's what happened. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations, Exodus three fourteen and 15. An extremely profound thing is happening in these verses. I don't know if you noticed it. As God revealed his name to Moses, 
He does so within the context of his covenant with the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, God's name, Yahweh, is not just a name, but it is also his covenant name because as the self-existing and self-sufficient one, he has bound himself to save Abraham's descendants. And the Lord tells Moses that this is how he wants to be remembered by his people, as the self-sufficient and faithful one, as the self-sufficient and faithful one. Therefore, the very DNA of the history of redemption includes two elements, and you have them in your notes. First, the history of redemption is first about God revealing himself, God revealing himself as self-sufficient and faithful. Self-sufficient and faithful. Second, the history of redemption is about God's people remembering that God is self-sufficient and faithful. What the Lord says to Moses through the burning bush then could be paraphrased thus, beware of forgetfulness. Forget not who I am. Now, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is the fifth book in the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And I want you to consider with me God's warning to his people in this section of Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 8, beginning in verse 11. Listen to what God tells Israel. Take care, verse 11, lest you do what? Forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you what? Forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Go back, go down to verse 17. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Verse 18, you shall do this one thing. What is it? Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Why am I reading all this? Why am I telling you all this? Well, behind Psalm 30, and go back to Psalm 30, stands David's own dangerous flirting, not with Bathsheba but with forgetfulness. He forgot God's self-sufficiency and God's faithfulness. But you may ask at this point, how can we tell that David was going down the dangerous road of forgetfulness? In other words, in your notes, what is the symptom of forgetfulness? What is the symptom of forgetfulness? Here's the answer. Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. Read with me verse 6 of Psalm 30. 
As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. You can tell that a man is flirting with forgetfulness of God when he begins to think himself immovable. This is what happened to David. The background to Psalm 30 is 1 Chronicles chapter 21. Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 21. In the Blue Bibles, if you're using the Blue Bibles, this is on page 350. 1 Chronicles is the background, and so we will be going back and forth between Psalm 30 and 1 Chronicles 21. What is the context here? David had defeated all his enemies, including the Philistines and the Moabites, according to chapter 18. Hence the words of Psalm 30, verse 7, where David says, You made my mountain strong. David was essentially undefeated by his enemies. But in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, David allows himself and his victories to become a source of conceit and pride. And so we read in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Chronicles 21. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. This was a test for David. A census, counting people in itself, is not necessarily a, a big deal, except when the census is reflective of a man who is beginning to think of himself self-sufficient. David was beginning to trust in his own army, in his own might, in his own military force, in his own people, his great numbers. The big deal is that David was forgetting the warning of Deuteronomy chapter 8 that we read a moment ago. David was becoming forgetful of the fact that God is the one who gives people victory. His prosperity led David to embrace a false sense of security in himself, his own accomplishments. And that was a sin. After all, as Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, It is not by might, nor by power, but by my, what? Spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Never forget that. Ironically, by forgetting, by forgetting the self-sufficiency of Yahweh, David sought to claim it for himself. I am enough. I am powerful enough. Look at my army. Look at my numbers. This is what I have accomplished. He should have remembered the covenant name of God, namely Yahweh, the eternal and self-sufficient one. But this is what happens with forgetfulness. It turns us into self-sufficient wannabes, only to discover that we are nothing but creatures. At times, therefore, in order to wake us up from our self-deception, God allows us to feel the consequence. And this is the next point in your note. The consequence of our forgetfulness. 
the consequence of our forgetfulness. And in this case, what was the consequence of David's forgetfulness of God's covenant faithfulness? Judgment. Judgment. Are you still in First Chronicles? If you're not, go back to First Chronicles 21. Remember, this is the background. We're going to be going back and forth. First Chronicles 21, verse 12. Because of David's forgetfulness of the Lord, the Lord gives David three choices for punishment. How about that? How would you like to be there? Let's read the options for David's punishment. Here it is. Verse 12. Either three years of famine or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtake you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. There you go. How do you like that, David? If I would have been David, I would have been like, is there a fourth option? How about you put me in a cage with a lion and a bear? And I fight them for three hours. I think that sounds a little better. Long story short, David chose option, option three, the pestilence, which takes us to the opening three verses of Psalm 30. So go back to Psalm 30. What does David say in the first three verses? Now we know the background. Consider verses one, two, and three. David says, I will extol you or praise you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. In other words, option number two did not become a reality in that David's enemies did not overtake the land. But look at verse two. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have what? Healed me. Verse three. O Lord, you have brought my soul from where? Sheol, what is Sheol? The abode of the dead. You restore me to life from among those who go down to the pit. In other words, option number three was fatal illness sweeping across the land of Israel for three days. David himself was sick almost to the point of death, which explains the words which is read. He was healed from a sickness so severe that it felt as though he had been raised from the dead. It is likely David almost died, but his life was restored from among those who go down to the pit. While many in Israel did die, 70,000 men, 70,000 men died because of the pestilence. David survived. Severe punishment for David's forgetfulness. He was brought literally to the brink of death. Now to our question. Why did David choose option number three? As we saw, none of, the, none of those options sounded very nice. But David, as he finds himself dealing with the painful consequences of his own forgetfulness of God's covenant faithfulness and the sin of self-sufficiency, he begins to remember he begins to remember the hope, and this is the next point, the hope in forgetfulness. And what is the hope? God's mercy. God's 
mercy. Look at what Paul, David says in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 30. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name for his anger, which he experienced quite clearly. His anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. In verse 4 of Psalm 30, David calls to mind the moment when he started to remember God's covenant faithfulness, which is embedded in his name. In fact, if you're reading from the ESV like I am, you see a footnote at the end of verse 7, right to the, the word name. An alternative reading would be, give thanks to the memorial of his holiness. God's covenant name is a reminder of who he is. He is self-sufficient and he's always faithful. That's what David began to forget. But now, after reaching the brink of death, he remembers. And that's why he chose option number three for his own punishment. Let me show you. Go back to 1 Chronicles 21, verse 13. 1 Chronicles 21 13, having heard his three options from a prophet or a seer named Gad, David says the following. Look at verse 13. I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord. Why? Why? What is it always true of God? His mercy is very great. But do not let me fall into the hands of man. In his distress, David remembered God's goodness. He remembered, in other words, the character of God. And so David thought to himself, God's mercies are new every morning. I know that for a fact. God's character was David's consolation. It brought him comfort in the midst of his distress. To those who are God's children, God's anger is but for a moment. But his favor is for a lifetime. As someone has said, quote, When God manifests himself to his own, love always prevails. And wrath is, in relation to his own people, only a vanishing moment, end quote. Now, the proof of this, if you're still in First Chronicles, is in the punishment itself. I want you to pay attention to that. There is something unique about the choices the Lord gives David which we see in verse 12. Once again, verse 12 of 1 Chronicles 21. Consider with me the length of each punishment. Did you notice that? The famine was going to last for how many years? Three years. Three what? Years. The devastation from other armies was going to last for three months. But the pestilence from God was said to be for only what? Three months. Days. So the progression was from long to short. Three years of famine, three months of the sword of the enemy, and three days of the sword of God. This is what led David to say, God's mercy is very great. Even in his punishment, God was exercising mercy toward David. God never punishes his children to destroy them but only to restore them so that they might turn from their sins and toward God. And this is precisely what we see next in your notes, the turn. 
from forgetfulness, the turn from forgetfulness. What is the turn? David turns from his from being self-centered and feeling self-sufficient to setting his gaze upon God's self-sufficiency and faithfulness. So what is the turn in David? God mindfulness. God mindfulness. I call it a turn because this is David's repentance of his forgetfulness. Here, David begins to realize that victories, accomplishments, wealth, power, protection, and life itself is all from God and for God. Everything you have, everything you have accomplished, everything in your life is not only from God, but it is for God, verse 8 of Psalm 30, to you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. Verse 9, look at verse 9. What profit is there in my death? Remember, there's a pestilence going through the land. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my helper. Did you hear verse 9? Did you feel David's massive internal turn? Did you hear the God-centeredness of his words? Listen to verse 9 again. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Do you see it now? What David is saying in verse 9. David's reason. Think about this. David's reasoning for not wanting to die is no longer self-preservation or self-exaltation or more military victories or more political expansion. David has turned. Let me paraphrase verse 9 in case you still don't see it. If I die, says David, to the Lord, if I die, then what will praise, praise you in my place? Do you see the turn in David's? Thought orientation, if I die, then what will praise you in my place? My dust, my ashes can't praise you. My bones are not able to sing your praises or tell of your faithfulness, Lord. Why would you let me die? Instead, says David, be merciful to me in this way. Give me more time among the living so that I might praise you with my own mouth and tell of your faithfulness. Let me live just so I can do that. That, my friends, is a mind no longer forgetful of God, but full of God. As one commentary said, in verse 6, David thought of himself to be immovable. In verse 9, he contrasts his former self-confidence with the God-word trust he now has in the school of affliction. The good shepherd cares for his own sheep, and sometimes this caring involves stripping them from any source of strength and comfort that might be seeking to take the place that belongs to God alone. You see, I, as I have said before, the Lord is always working weakness in us because when we are weak, then we are what? Strong. See, David was thinking the other way. David was becoming strong in his own eyes. 
through pestilence, David was reminded of how fleeting, how small his power actually was. God stands against anything in your life and mine that will lead us to place our confidence in the flesh, period, period. God will seek to strip you of anything that you put confidence in that comes from the flesh. In fact, that's how Paul summarized the Christian life. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, Paul says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put how much confidence in the flesh? No confidence in the flesh. David was doing the opposite. But, you say, give me something practical here. How do I apply any of this to my own life? Well, let's take this right into its application. How can you know if you are flirting with forgetfulness in your own life and becoming self-sufficient like David? To do that, you must ask yourself another question. A question that not only reveals where you are headed, but one that also can provide the remedy for self for forgetfulness. So it is two in one. Now, before I give you the question, here is the remedy. Here is the remedy for forgetfulness. Twofold. Here you go. It's going to blow your mind. The level of insight here. Thanksgiving and worship. See, the Christian life is not that complicated, is it? Thanksgiving and worship. Uh, go to verse 11 of Psalm 30. You have turned for me my mourning into what? Dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give thanks. I will give thanks to you forever. Now, According to 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 16, David and the elders of Israel literally covered their heads with sackcloth and fell to their faces as they contemplated the devastation brought about by the pestilence in Israel. They were mourning in horror as they saw what was going on with the people of Israel. So when David says in verse 11... You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. This is true in a most literal sense. After the devastation had gone through the land of Israel, and after David himself was almost taken by the sickness, God restored them. Therefore, the mourning was turned into dancing. The sorrow was turned into gladness. And now David has learned his lesson, which he reveals in verse 12. He knows now that he was kept alive by the mercy of God in order that he might praise God. But he says that in an interesting way. He says that my glory may sing your praises and not be silent. What does that mean? That my glory may sing your praises and not be silent. In other words, what David is saying is here is this. Everything that I am. Everything that I am, all my military victories, all my expansion, the entire glory of my kingdom and my own kingship, all of it 
was meant to be fuel for praises to God, not for my own self-exaltation. Everything that I am, the glory of the kingdom, the glory of my own kingship, the glory of Israel, everything was meant to fuel my praises to God, that my glory may praise you, says him. So even my glory was meant to be for you, God. He acknowledges this. But here comes the remedy to prevent forgetfulness at the very end of verse 12. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now I get it, says David. Thanksgiving is the remedy to forgetfulness because thanksgiving is the acknowledgement of something received, not earned or deserved. So the question that I have for you is quite obvious. You probably know it already. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? There you go. Do you have an attitude of gratitude? Now, before you think that question is meant to be cute, let me correct that. It's meant to be a sobering, searching question. If you don't have an attitude of gratitude, then beware of forgetfulness. You might be flirting with it. Show me a person who lacks thanksgiving in their lives, and I'll show you a person who is beginning to forget the Lord. Find a way to remind yourself daily and throughout the day to stop and give thanks to God for every good gift in your life. As one New Testament commentator said, and I quote, Thanksgiving isn't just a way of being a bit less grumpy and a bit more cheerful. No, it is a habit of the heart which indicates the nature and particular shape of one's worldview, end quote. Thanksgiving is closely associated with joy, which for Paul is one of the primary signs of the work of the Spirit. Thanksgiving, giving thanks, is one of the remedies to fight forgetfulness. Second, worship. Worship. Where am I getting this from? From Psalm 30. From Psalm 30. Did you see the title of it, which I forgot to read at first? The title of Psalm 30, which is in the original text. A Psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the what? The temple. That's interesting, isn't it? Because... It was David's son, Solomon, who built the temple eventually, not David. In fact, David did not live long enough to see the temple, although he did get involved in the preparations for it before he died. So how do we make sense of that title assigned to the psalm? Well, let me propose the following. After David was healed from his illness, which almost killed him, he not only gave thanks, but he also set up an altar where he worshipped. Now go back to 1 Chronicles 21. The location of that altar is of great significance for our present study. Let me show you. 1 Chronicles 21. Let's begin reading halfway through verse 15. Halfway through first verse 15. It says, And he... The Lord said to the angel who was working what? Destruction. It is enough. Now stay your hand. 
And the angel of the Lord was standing, listen to the place, by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing where? Between earth and heaven. Sound familiar? And in his hand, a drawn sword stretched over Jerusalem. Now, verse 18. Now the angel of the Lord had commanded Gad, the prophet, to say to David that David should go up and raise an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Look at verse 26. And David built there an altar to the Lord and presented burnt offerings and called on the Lord. And the Lord answered him with fire from heaven upon the altar of burnt offering. Now look at chapter 22, verse 1. Then David said, Here shall be what? The house of the Lord God, and here the altar of burnt offering for Israel. Now follow me to 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verse 1. 2 Chronicles 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to David his father at that place that David had appointed. Where? On the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Why build a temple there? Why did David choose that location? Well, I think the answer is actually simple. Because that's where God's wrath was ended and his mercy was extended. Right over the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Therefore, we could say, at least by way of implication, that the temple of Solomon was built almost literally upon the foundation of the mercy of God for his people. This teaches us immediately that worship is first and foremost a response to mercy. You are here this morning and you're lifting up your voices and praying and singing together because God has been merciful to you. Worship is first and foremost a response to mercy. So let me ask you this question. Do you prioritize worship in your life? Or you can just take it and leave it. David learned a lesson. Worship is of the essence. It is a suitable response to God's mercies, which are new every morning. What about you? Do you prioritize worship in your life? Is it of the essence? Now, as we are bringing this to a close, let me make a point here. If David had reason to worship, we have even more. The temple was built upon the floor in which God literally ended his wrath and extended his grace. But we now have a new temple, don't we? The apostle John spoke of Jesus as being greater, in fact, than what? 
the temple. Why? Well, if you want to take note of this, the reason is because Jesus is the one in whom God's wrath was ended and his mercy extended permanently. Permanently. Not only for the Jews, but for the entire world. Jesus, as Paul says, is the cornerstone upon whom the new temple, meaning the church, is being built. Because he is God's mercy given to us. It is the Lord Jesus himself. In him, wrath has been satisfied. Jesus is the one in whom we worship. And we, when we gather together as we are here today, this is what we remember. You neglect worship to your own detriment. For this is how we fight forgetfulness in the Christian life, especially on a Sunday like today when we remember the Lord's death around the Lord's table. I have said this in more than one occasion, that the Lord Jesus came into this world to retell and to relive the story of Israel. He is the true and faithful Son of God. But He also undertook the pains and the sorrows of Israel upon Himself. Interestingly, And I don't want to make too much of this point, but interestingly, Israel endured pestilence for how many days? Three days. Interesting, isn't it? Likewise, the Lord Jesus was dead for three days. The Lord Jesus endured the affliction of our death for three days. For three days, he experienced the darkness of our night caused by our sins. But after three days of darkness, after three days of weeping in the night, joy came with the first Easter morning as the son who was dead left the tomb empty. Therefore, what David said only metaphorically in verse 3 of Psalm 30, Jesus can say literally, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restore me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Jesus entered our misery all the way down to death itself to come out of it in victory through his resurrection. And just like the angel stood between earth and heaven upon the threshing floor of Ornan, signifying the ending of wrath and the granting of mercy, Jesus, the crucified and risen one, now stands as Lord of both heaven and earth, and in him both can be reconciled. And now the angels themselves can sing glory to God where? In the highest and peace where? On earth. So if you have been flirting with forgetfulness in your life, then look to the cross and forget no more. David, after being forgiven and healed, looked to the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. He saw the angel and remembered God's mercy as he saw the angel. We, having been forgiven and restored from our sins, we look to Golgotha and remember God's mercy as we see Jesus, of whom Solomon's temple was but a shadow. The cross is our memorial. The cross is our memorial. Upon that cross and upon that man who died, Jesus of Nazareth, wrath was ended. And through him, mercy has forever forever 
been extended to us. So what is the invitation? Well, it's simple. Come to the table, my Christian brother and my Christian sister, and by faith rejoice in all that God has given to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. We need nothing more. So let us pray together. Father, we thank you for Psalm 30 and what it reminds us of that you're always just in your judgments. And your anger may come to us for the sake of discipline, but your favor and your mercy are for a lifetime. So for those in this room in particular who are, who think that they might be under the discipline of the Lord for whatever reason, I pray that they will remember that his anger is just for a moment, but that in Christ Jesus, favor is now into all eternity. So I pray that you will give us all patience and give us all eyes to see the beauty of the cross, where wrath has forever been satisfied and mercy has eternally been granted to us who believe. And so work now in our lives according to your might and according to your purpose, by the power of the Spirit. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.